Welcome back to the Mulligan Brothers podcast. I am your host, Jordan Mulligan, and today's episode is with a local legend of ours, and in, well, international legend too, but he's a local hero of ours, Richard Whitehead, uh, double amputee, gold medal, Paralympic Games winner, um, Olympic, the Paralympic Games gold medalist, multi-gold medalist. They have, in our local towns, they even painted the... Uh, I think it was the post box gold in honor of Richard, which is unheard of. If you if you know anything about Britain, they're supposed to be bright red, but they painted it gold. Um, I've seen him running it, like, randomly in the streets. I'll be driving my car, and you'll see him fly past on on his blades, um, and just an absolute inspiration. He goes to the local gym, just around the, like literally th- thirty second walk from the studio. He goes to the local gym. That is where we film the project for. Mulligan Bros YouTube channel, and he has such an inspirational story, an inspiration of loss, an inspiration that involves bullying, an inspira- um, a, a story that involves bullying, sorry, a story that involves overcoming adversity, a story of reaching the peaks of a sport. It's, it's such an interesting story that he's, he's going to dive into here, so please stay tuned. Today's video was made possible at www.mulliganbrothers.com where you can now get the Memento Mori poster, a poster to remind you that you're going to die one day. Uh, I shade in my boxers every single week. I look at it on my fridge and I'm reminded to move forward with passion and purpose in my life. It works massively for me and it ended procrastination instantly when I started using it. So use code podcast at checkout for 10% off the frame and the poster. And also, you can get the t-shirts, hoodies, and journals with the link in the description. So please go check that out. Let's dive into this. For those who don't know, just introduce yourself and what you do. I'm Richard Whitehead, Paralympic gold medalist, motivational speaker, but more importantly, a good person. Where were you born? So I was born in the late 70s, uh, 1976, in Nottingham, England in a small village called Loudoun and I was brought up in a in a community that wasn't very diverse and for me that had lots of challenges and obstacles. So yeah we definitely we'll definitely dive into that um we have we have quite a large American audience as well um how would you describe (laughs) Robin Hood that's it let's go for it it is yeah it's like oh you're from Nottingham that's it Robin Hood Hood. (laughs) Uh, what's what is it like growing up there um yeah as if you were describing to an American guy without the Robin Hood (laughs) Nottingham is quite a diverse city and lots of different areas I would I was a young person with a disability that did feel quite segregated growing up. It's important when you grow up that you have people that you aspire to be like and you want to achieve your your goals without a ceiling and Nottingham gives you that inspiration and aspiration but I've had to work really hard for what I've got. I've never been given a silver spoon and I feel that everything I've earned in my life I've achieved. So in, in your childhood then, you say looking for a role model or something like that, in the, so it was a village? Yeah, a little villager. Was that not something that was present then? No. When I was, when I was growing up, uh, especially when I was younger, my mum and dad were from a working class background and as role models, they were present at all kinds of opportunities regarding integration of me into local local clubs um, my village wasn't very diverse like I've said and so had big problems at primary school lots of obstacles and challenges in the way to access the curriculum there wasn't an inclusion spectrum at all so it created lots of problems with my development not only as a sportsman but also as an individual person and trying to find my own identity. Then as I, I then progressed through the challenges that I had in primary school, I went to a secondary school, Colonel Frank Seeley in Calverton, where the headmaster was very much, uh, you've got to get on with life and work really hard to achieve your goals. And that's what I needed. I needed to be not just seen as a number, but seen as a person. And everybody has a gift in life, 
and I think that's where my my talent uh, as a person and as an athlete started to be enriched by the opportunity and platform that they gave me at secondary school. Amazing. So again, something we're definitely going to jump into. Um, just so we've got context, um, specifically, so make sure I get this. So you were born with a double through knee congenital amputation. Explain yeah, it. Right. I mean, yeah. I'm... I'm yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah, I can, yeah. People with disabilities have their impairments through different circumstance. And that can be through an accident, uh, whether that's road traffic accident or whether that's in service, um, or through an illness such as cancer. But I was born with my disability. So though some people say I've not had the challenges and obstacles of those, those individuals that have lost their legs due to an accident or illness, but I've had to overcome those stereotypes all through my life and those obstacles and challenges have been present from birth. Is there a particular moment you can remember growing up like where you was like realised the effects of that or realised you know there's obstacles I have to overcome in life as a as a, as a young young person was there a moment at all that sticks out? Or? As all young people grow up in life um, they're affected by their surroundings and environment and I was lucky enough that I had lots of friends that accepted me to who I was and maybe there were some adapt adaptations that, that my friends and family made when I was growing up. But I think as you, you, you put yourself into those uncomfortable positions in life, that's when you realise that everybody has their own challenges and everybody's going to be affected by some kind of disability or ability in their life and for me it was probably getting my running legs later in life that I realised that that sport was a great platform for me for, for success and that was later on um, but all the challenges and obstacles that I've overcome in my life up to that point gave me the toolkit that I needed um, to access um, the skills that I need to communicate with my audience. And my audience of people, not just with people with disabilities, those, those individuals in life that are affected by mental or physical uh, well-being, as well as those that maybe have those challenges that they have to overcome every day in their lives. What were, what were the um, lessons learned from, from early childhood then in terms of mindset and having a positive outlook by the sounds of it, like and turning it into sort of the athletic career and everything? When, when growing up, I, I look at the challenges that I've had and it's really important not only just to have a positive mindset because anybody can say, you need to be positive. It's more about having those kind of tools and those life experiences and memories that you can pull back on. Um, I'm not saying that every experience that I've had within life has been positive. I'm not saying that I've not had challenges to overcome or people's opinions to change. I've always stayed true to my own core values and those are around resilience, hard work, trust, honesty and leaving a lasting legacy for those that need that support and guidance. As I, as I grew up, I was originally not really motivated by the education system because I felt the education system didn't really didn't really encourage me to be the best person I, I, I could be in life and have no ceiling to my success but I felt sport and the power of sport gave me that opportunity to, to shine and my education was sport and through sport I've met so many empowering people that have that have enriched my life but I think it's really important still to reflect on some of those really tough moments and then relate to people that are going through those hard times at the moment. What early days getting into sport was there a moment like was it getting your running blades or was there a point where you was like wow this is for me this is amazing? Even down to when I first learned to swim when I was four years old kind of Obviously, when I was when I was growing up, you, you, you've seen my prosthetics that, that, that I wear now and my running blades that obviously I used in the gym earlier. 
and the prosthetics when I was growing up were made of tin and very heavy and clumbersome to then jump in a swimming pool and just be swimming around like my, um, my fellow uh, classmates and friends or going in the gymnasium and, and doing gymnastics was, was really important to me. I was uh, a member of a, a gymnastics club in Nottingham called Daco Flying Angels and they gave me the confidence as well to say, look, in life you need to have certain skills and those, those skills you can take on uh, into later life and that's being balance, agility and coordination and those are things that I still have to work on to this day to be a better person, to be a better athlete. And just specific to the head teacher telling you to sort of, you know, it's going to be... Wanker. <laughs> what, what was that? Uh, was, it, was there a good relationship there? Was it a turning point for yourself? In life, in life you've got to have those kind of challenging conversations with people. And I know my parents had those challenging conversations with the, the headmaster at my junior school. And he saw me as somebody that needed a lot of support and guidance through education where my parents saw the power of sport to break down some of those, those social barriers. And especially to try and educate the, uh, the area of the community that had never seen people with disabilities before. My parents were definitely key to who I am today and, and the opportunities that, that I've had. Um, I definitely didn't have a good relationship with my first headmaster, but he's, he's set me up for the rest of my life about quite, being quite tough, being resilient, being somebody that's determined to do well. And my headmaster, Mr. Scott at, at Colonel Frank Seeley, I think he, he taught me about acceptance and that everybody in life deserves an opportunity and it's about taking that. You still need to be the driver in your life and I definitely had to be that in secondary school going on to employment later on in life. Were there, were there any moments, um, specifically speaking up to the kind of this point, like we're talking about secondary school, where you just thought, why me? Like, you know, like low moments, like was, was there anything like that or did you always just sort of see the, the silver lining kind of thing? No, um, like I say, you're, um, I think your friends are, um, are a smokescreen to kind of reality sometimes and um, you don't see yourself as somebody that's got a disability until, until you face those, those opinions and those obstacles where society starts putting you in boxes. And we live in a, a society nowadays that is all about equality and diversity and inclusion, where back 30 years ago, there wasn't that at all. It was about putting people into boxes and, and stereotypes. Um, and that was really tough. It was really tough to find the same kind of opportunities as my friends, whether that's within sport, whether that's within employment, but also to get the respect of your peers. Um, within sport, I've still got a disability when I finish that sporting activity. So I live with my disability where my friends would go home as an able-bodied person and not have the same challenges that I had. And I think between my early teens going to like 19, 20, it was a tough time in my life that I was not sure where I fitted in society and really struggled to find any kind of direction apart from obviously in sport. I think this is from the website. Um... The, about your parents' support, so living life without limits was something that they, they promoted and pushed yeah. for you, yeah. yeah. Everybody in life needs to have role models and, and, and mentors. And in my early life, especially going through primary school, my mum and dad were, saw that my disability would be a problem in society and, and sport has that opportunity to bridge some of those communication barriers and, and there were real innovators within the sporting community setting up like disability swimming groups and, and pushing me to swim nationally, internationally and always looked at the Paralympic movement as something to aspire to. I then, obviously, as you grow into being a teenager, your, your dreams and aspirations change and that's when 
I was really struggling to find some kind of direction. I think my parents always wanted me to be successful in sport. If you ask my parents how far they thought I'd go in sport, they might, might have not said about my Paralympic success and everything else off the, off the track. But um, when I meet people with dis disabilities, I always say, like, dream big. A life without limits is really important, not just for a person with a disability, but for everybody. Mar marathon, was that, was, that, was that the first thing you got into? No, so um, I, like I say, I swam. I swam when I was like four up till I was 21. I did gymnastics. Um, they gave me the, the real skills that I needed moving forwards. Um, I always wanted to be a marathon runner. Um, after seeing uh, the Terry Fox story, a uh, Canadian athlete that tried to run from east to west of, of Canada. Um, like I say, I've, I've never had a role model that I could like relate to. Uh, it's really important in society when we talk about role models and people that we aspire to, that it's not about self-gratification, it's not about money, it's not about followers, it's not about wealth, it's about who you are and enriching, that, enriching you and the people around you. And I definitely looked for a role model and somebody that I could relate to some of the challenges and obstacles I have in my life. And when I first saw Terry Fox and then obviously read his book, I related to him because he lost his uh, leg due to sarcoma and then tried to run from east to west of Canada to raise one Canadian dollar for everybody that he spoke to or he touched. And that showed me that sport's not about that, those medals or or those prizes that you get from sport, it's about how you have an impact on, on sport moving forwards. And seeing that, had that kind of light bulb moment, I need to do something like this, I need to do a big challenge, I need to be able to run. Obviously I was a double leg amputee that didn't have any running legs, was never able to run when I was younger. How do I, how do, I do that? It's obviously, it's a big, big challenge, but when the time's right, you step up to the plate. So it's like, cometh the hour, cometh the man. The, uh, so yeah, first, the first run that you did... In New York, yeah. Yeah, the New York... Um... So I'd worked in America in, in 1998 uh, on the Camp America scheme. I was um, a camp counsellor and then worked as a, a waterfront director. And... Again, when you put yourself into those uncomfortable situations where uh, you're not really sure about what the outcomes look like, but also you kind of challenge yourself in different scenarios around being accepted as a person with a disability. Also, learning new skills and not just challenging other people, but challenging yourself. I went over there, I realised that the American market is very open to uh, people with disabilities and also the challenges they have to overcome. Um, and I wanted to go back and run a race or do a challenge that started my journey. And so in 2004, I went back to America and ran the New York City Marathon. Um, I'd never run a 5K, 10K, half marathon. I'd obviously done training, but I felt that was a great platform to expose myself to sport at a different level. Um, I'd, I'd done that for, for charity, um, but also one of my closest friends, Simon Mellows, had just contracted secondary sarcoma at the time. Uh, so to do it, do it for him and to show him that, that anything's possible and, and, and also that I was with him on his journey, even though it was, it, was, it was tough for him having a young family. And then unfortunately him dying in 2005. It's, it's about not just doing things for yourself, but um, for people that are less fortunate than themselves. Um, and that was, that's, and I would still say everything that I've done in my life, one of the biggest achievements that I've ever had. One, taking the risk and opportunity to go to New York and win that race. Um, not knowing the consequences of, uh, of running 26 miles, not understanding the effort that it takes to run 26 miles. 
but also the, the, the responsibility that I had for, for my friend as well. Uh, and he's, he's still with me today and all, all the challenges that I have in my life, I still feel that he's like my guardian angel that really provides me with the hope and guidance when I'm making those key decisions within my life. Yeah, it's interesting on the website, like how, how much of an emphasis he has on, yeah, on everything. I think there was a, a piece you did, I can't remember which company it was, but there was a piece that was specifically for, uh, based around Simon. Yeah. I, I, how would you describe him as a person? Yeah, uh, so I, um, I played cricket with um, Simon Mellows um, uh, for a local cricket team, as well as for England development team. And uh, Simon Mellows, six foot, six foot seven, like massive guy, massive talent, um, but just a really warm character. And we got to know each other, became really close friends and what i took away from our relationship it was it was more about like his family his warmness towards people and about everyday matters especially when he was going through his treatment and we had after i came back from new york we had a moment where he said look you, the next marathon that you that you run i'd like to do it on a on like a hand bike or in a, in, a, in a wheelchair, do it with you. Unfortunately, he died in 2005. And again, leaving a family behind, it, it showed me that like every opportunity that I'm gonna make, I'm gonna immerse myself in that and commit myself to 100% um, to those that are, that are less fortunate than myself. Um, because he, he had a, the character and aspiration to, to be the best person he could and to make use of every second of time that he had left on the planet. And yeah, it had a, had a massive effect on me. And um, yeah, every decision I make now, he's like, he's, he's in that box on that shoulder that then opens up and kind of questions the reason why I'm doing things, uh, but also encourages me in the right ways. And, and when I have those dark moments in my life, I just reflect on the time that, that Lime, Simon was having those last couple of days. And, and, and I know it was really tough for him and his family. And uh, I don't think we, we realised that, that today could be our last. And those kind of conversations that you want to have with your parents and your friends, make use of that time because uh, that might be the last time you talk to them. It's so, it's so true, it's not something that a lot of people, I think, have experienced within life until yeah. you come into the end of your life, kind yeah, of. Yeah, definitely, yeah. It's, 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 it's powerful and, um, yeah, to, to, to be touched by people in your life sometimes doesn't, doesn't always happen or it happens in, in, in those different environments where mine happened through sport and, and me and Simon knew each other over probably about a three, four year period. Um, but I came to really understand more about what it's like to have a disability. He was an able-bodied person that lost his leg initially and then developed secondary sarcoma. And um, to kind of get, get another story from somebody else, a, a very strong human being that has an impact on me. Yeah, I, I, probably at that point I could have gone in a different direction and he, he definitely changed my life for the better. We were just talking about before out here about like what the definition of success is and um, I think at the moment it's about followers, it's about how many views you get in. How... Yeah, it's bollocks really. Yeah, yeah it is and, and then we're just talking now about like how it's affect, how you affect other people's lives. How, yeah. how did you, did you have to make a switch? For yourself to go right it's all about what i can how much impact i can have on other people impact is is measured in lots of different ways isn't it and we we talk openly about um the power of um your influence and and being an influencer and what that looks like an influencer 30 years ago was was your parents or was your friends or was people close by you now an influencer, somebody that you maybe never meet or they try and promote a product on social media. For me, 
if, if other people see me as a person that can influence uh, people in the disability community or in that diversity community, then I want to make that positive impact through the positive messaging, empowering and liberating other people to take on their own journey and not be, not be judged by the number of followers they have, the number of likes they have, the number of gold medals they have, but more about their core values and the opportunities they give other people. And also the memories they make for themselves and their families to be better. Better people make better athletes. Better people um, have positive impacts on their communities. Lots of people have asked me about my legacy and how I want to be remembered. I don't want to be remembered as a gold medalist or somebody that's got a gold letterbox or a doctorate from Nottingham University or all these kind of lifetime achievement awards I've got. Hopefully people see that I'm personable and that I give my time to, to other people. And if I'm able to affect one person in that positive way, then I feel I've done my job. My parents don't really understand what I do. Um, my parents sometimes think that I, I train for an hour, two hours a day, and then maybe do some emails. But I try to, I try to give back what they gave me, and that was hope, which is important. Everybody needs hope in life, right? Definitely, man. Yeah. So I, I love that, and that's one of the bases here is about inspiring change. Yeah. And I love the what your parents did with you. They've inspired you to do pass it on, and you're taking that baton in a massive way as well. Um, I mean, just just on that, like, how important is it to sort of spread? Um, I don't know, if positivity possibly through action, you know, yeah, like, yeah. like what you're doing, the decision to go, I'm guessing you could do a hundred sponsorship campaigns, earn a load of money, and you'd be, you know. And I've done that, I've, yeah. I've, 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 I've been ruthless in sport, I've, I, was, uh, I was world champion, Paralympic gold medalist for 10 years. I look back at some of my, my interviews in that period and maybe, maybe I, was, I was selfish in that, in that period, but that was because I had to be at that time to be as successful as I as I have been. But is that is that where the the the, the powerful work that that I've done over the years has been? Definitely not. I look at a lot of the opportunities that I've had to 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 engage with people all over the world, and that's with um, organisations like MSF. In, in Jordan and Syria, or it's in Beirut with the landmine victims, uh, a charity um, called One Family in the Asian community in Turkey and Syria. I think those are the real, real times of, of power when you're, you're in front of young people or people with families and you're able to provide them with the tools to, to get through the day and to plan for their future and uh, have that hope, honest, and then provide them with the, the tools for them to, to enrich their life. I've, um, I've had lots of kind of times when I've come away and gone, that was like mind blowing. Um, and because I've got a visible disability, I can, I can have that empathetic conversation with with those people that have challenges within, in their life, not just amputees or not just people with disabilities. I feel that you need to be relatable, um, but also you need to show that with strength becomes opportunity, but you need to have a strong team around you. And whether that's people, whether that's, whether that's communication or whether that's an opportunity. I've been lucky enough to have, have all those. And I know all over the world, there's a lot of people that, that doesn't. So it's about us that have got that platform to take that responsibility seriously and provide other people with um, the hope that they need. I'm interested in to hear the, the Olympic journey. 
Yeah, Olympics is yeah, it's Olympics and Paralympics are interesting. I think it's um, it's a vocal point, isn't it? It's a platform, like anything in life. It's whether you're on TV, on a game show, whether you're um, in a place of power, it gives you that platform and an audience to. Um, get those kind of messages out there, talk about your core values and who you are. Um, some people use that in a positive way, some people play up to that platform and, and become a different character in life. For me, it's always been an opportunity to show people who, who I really am and that I'm just a normal guy from, from Nottingham that, that enjoys what I do, but also feels that there's areas to improve. I'm in my 40s now and I still feel there's lots of different areas of the community that I want to connect with that I've not maybe connected to with before and with that connection that you're able to support a wider audience. The Paralympics, my first Paralympics was actually a Winter Games. I played ice sledge hockey in 2004 in Turin uh, but I always wanted to obviously go to uh, Summer Games and run. 2005 was the announcement for the London Games. I was marathon running at the time. There wasn't a marathon event in the Paralympic programme. I had to change from running 26.2 miles all the way down to 200 metres. Um, and again, the kind of those, those conversations you have with, your, with yourself is, do I really want this? Do I need this? What does that mean to go to the Paralympics? Um, my coach at the time saw the Paralympics as a great opportunity to, to speak openly about some of the challenges for those people with disabilities and also to enrich my life in, in, in a wider, wider respect. So yeah, from 2005 all the way to 2012, it was, it was hard graft, um, getting to know what the Olympic kind of movement stands for, Olympic Paralympic movement and then to plot how I was going to, one, make that team and then what success looked like. And again, when, when I talk to, to, to general members of the public that have seen me race at the, at the Paralympics, they said, oh, it's great to win that Paralympic gold medal. That was obviously a really successful Games. Success before that was just getting on that plane to go. Um, to be at that Games, to have that tracksuit was a great honour. 80,000 people watched my event on the 1st of September in 2012 and to have family and friends there that had been through all the challenges and obstacles that I had. Mum and dad, like, just like people that had supported me in my home city as well as in the UK and people travelled all over the world to come and see me race. It was, it was great to be successful and then kind of cross that finish line, give them the kind of gun salute. And that was more about defiance and celebration of who you can be in life. And um, success isn't, definitely isn't about a world record that I earned that day. It was that I had an opportunity to shine and I, I took it with both hands. If you're enjoying this podcast episode with Richard Whitehead, please consider supporting us at www.mulliganbrothers.com where you can get the Memento Mori poster, a poster to remind you that you are going to die. It's 80 years of tiny squares that I fill in every single day and look at on my fridge and I'm reminded to move forward with passion and purpose every single day. I love it. One of the most powerful tools I've been using for the last year. Code podcast at checkout gets you 10% off. Please go check it out. Let's dive back into this conversation. Uh, I love that. So, so I was, I was going to go on to sort of the, like the gold medal, getting the gold medal. But so for you, the success was just being there in the first place. Yeah, 100%. And I, I hear a lot about gold medals as success. And the one thing, working in education working as a sports development officer, I get to speak to a lot of young people. And if you're promoting gold medals as the only point of success, there's only one winner. What, what, are, the, what are the rest of, whether it's the other seven or the other 700, what are they? Are they losers? Um, success needs to be personal. 
it needs to be about every person having their own success. And if my only success was my gold medals, I feel that I'd have wasted my career. Um, the gold medals that I have, I actively share them with my community. And little chunks of those are the, the team around me that have provided me with their time and their effort into that, that performance. And, and it is, that's what, that, what, that's what I have. I have lots of different performances and memories that, that create those opportunities. I've been lucky enough that I'm very good at what I do. And then you see my success. But I always celebrate the, the athletes that run with me as well as those other stories that you hear within sport. Don't be defined by a gold medal. Don't be, be defined by a medal. Uh, be defined by who you are and what you could become. Mm. I mean, so somebody who's born into a billionaire family and becomes a billionaire, that's less successful than somebody who's pulled themselves off the streets, who made homeless, drunk, alcoholic, sorry, and now managing uh, uh, some shop like that's yeah. that's success it's that journey and in the gym earlier we're speaking about um with your foundation and trying to take people who've never ran before and just get them or never walked before and getting them walking and stuff is there stories for you that stick out that you've seen that really mock success like mock success for yourself that you've seen yeah hundreds and hundreds of stories um Oh, in 2000, so 2012, I won obviously gold in London. And one of the, the real reasons why I wanted to go to London 2012 is because I wanted to do a, a challenge such as um, Terry Fox. And so in 2013, with the help of sponsors, I then ran from Land's End to John O'Groats, so 40 marathons in 40 days. And that was really the reason why I wanted to get to London 2012. So it was never about a gold medal, never about kind of setting the world alight in sport, it was around having that kind of opportunity to leave my legacy on, on the UK. And through that, through that journey, I became patron of Sarcombe UK, the charity that um, obviously supported Simon, my friend, and supports so many other Sarcombe uh, sufferers. So one of the, the chari charities that would benefit from my run was Sarcombe UK and also another charity scope, which supports people with disabilities. Um, but that challenge um, raised a lot of money, but also awareness for people with disabilities. And I actually met a young girl. It wasn't, it wasn't um, planned. She just, her and her family uh, heard about me running. Um, she was uh, a young girl, Marina, a double arm, double leg amputee that had never had any running prosthetics at all. A very active young girl. Um, I remember I was stopped on a break at the side of a road and her parents drove up and then introduced me. We chatted and it was really refreshing to get um, a young person's kind of perspective on what being an amputee is like and, and kind of I wanted to at that point have an influence on her future. So at that point, I said I needed to take some action. So we provided her with, with running prosthetics and she now plays like touch rugby. She's a lot more active in the school. Uh, her mum's now actively involved in my foundation. Um, so it just shows that there's lots of outside kind of impacts that you can have through doing something positive and being kind. Kindness is something that a lot of people don't understand how, how much of an impact you can have with, with being kind and also how much that kind of influences yourself. You feel better when you do something for somebody else, whether it's buy them a coffee or hold, hold the door open or just give somebody the time of the day. And I was lucky at that one point, I could kind of give this young person a great platform for hopefully to enrich not just herself and her community, how important it is to be a disabled person and to have a successful childhood. Uh, and, I, and I definitely, I saw, I saw parts of her that may be challenges that I had when I was younger as well, being a disabled person. I mean, for, for us again, it's like, it's about that inspired change. And it's like, that's, uh, I, think, I think one of the things we have an issue with at the moment, especially with social media is that 
if I'm not helping hundreds of thousands of people or millions of people, then what's the point? And it, and it seems to be that people forget the buying of a coffee, opening a door for somebody, picking up some litter and someone yeah. sees you doing it. Yeah. Um, or bigger gestures like what, what you've, I mean, you've probably had so many experiences in that way. How important is it just to have an impact on one person? I think people think that's it. One person's impact, oh, I can't help anybody else. There's no point to it. Yeah, it's the personal, uh, the personable approach with people is the key uh, to have that connection and that relationship. And one thing I will say is that just because you've been successful doesn't mean you're a good person. Just because you're a gold medalist doesn't mean you're somebody that you should aspire to be. And role models do let you down. It's about having the skills, having the tools to be a better person and figuring out who you want to be in life and what kind of impact you have. And it definitely, is, it definitely starts with looking at yourself, your, your family, your community and having a local impact and then spreading those messages to a wider audience to affect um, the community, whatever country you're in and then relate to different audiences and, and then not be defined by the stereotypes that people give you. Like, I've, I've got a physical disability. Um, sometimes I hear from the, the older community saying, oh, you're such an inspiration to like, the disabled community. And I'm like going, I don't think I am. I think I've just got a disability, I've got a platform. I use it for whoever. There's people that have got a disability that hate sport, that, are, that didn't like 2012, that didn't like the Paralympics. And for me, that was a community that I wanted to reach out to. I wanted to reach out and say, look, the power of sport isn't, isn't about participation. It's about helping your physical and mental well-being to be a better person. You don't have to run or win gold medals to be impacted by Paralympic sport. It's really about life stories. My, my, my story is still, still continuing. I, when I like, retire from running on the track, I still want to empower the people through other means. I'm just going to change the narrative and, and put my energy into other areas. Um, just take, to take it back to something for a soundbite is, um, what, what did it take to be a, a Paralympian? Like, what would the daily, daily work ethic look like? What were you doing on a day-to-day -day basis? As a, as a performance athlete, uh, you have to commit to it full-time and you're having to immerse yourself into performance sport. So that would be 35 hours of training and whether that's training on the track, training on the road, in the gym, um, work with your uh, soft tissue therapist, physiotherapist, uh, nutritionist. It's about taking it really seriously and also that's your number one goal to be a Paralympic athlete and you've got your, your dreams and aspirations and having small targets to having that kind of dream goal in the sky of getting on the team and then being successful. And then, and then making sure that you've got manageable targets on that route because you start as the next cycle finishes and the cycle for a Paralympics or Olympics is four years or, or obviously the last one was five. And within that cycle, you're going to have challenges like uh, illness, injury, maybe change of coach, uh, maybe change of mindset. But as long as you've got that aspiration of uh, making the team, then you're always going to be a little bit closer to reaching your dream. And I've been lucky enough to have go, gone to four games and everyone has been very special for different things. And also I've learned something about myself athletically and personally every time I've gone to a Paralympic Games. Uh, who inspires you? I would say the cliche answer would be that I, I've got this like kind of sieve that I use and then all skills that other people have that I find like really inspiring, like commitment, determination, resilience, empowerment, 
their, their skills that I throw into this sieve, I shake the sieve and the ones that stick to the side, I kind of then pick them out and then try and be more resilient myself and try and empower more people. And these are, these are skills that I, I pick up from maybe podcasts or audiobooks or YouTube or people that I meet or just general members of public that have got, um, that got the core values that I want to buy into. I think it is really important that we have role models uh, and mentors and people that we can pick up the phone to and just kind of talk the fat through. But I, but I really think that you need to have your own core values and kind of figure out who you are and be actively communicating that with your audience. And not just, just talking about it, but also doing it as well. How do you stay motivated? I just get up in the morning, man. <laughs> to stay motivated is tough, isn't it? It's, uh, when you're successful, how do you, um, how do you continue to be successful? How, I've, I've won two Paralympic gold medals. I've like, four times world, world champion. I've done lots of challenges in my life and overcome stereotypes. And I think it, it's, it's important that you still have goals and you still have aspirations and you still want to be better. Um, I still see there's a lot of young people out there that need support and need guidance because the world is a different place than when I was growing up and the technology is out there to support young people but I think it's not used in the right way at the moment and motivation for me is, is, is to connect with as many of those young people as possible and give them the opportunity to have their own platform in life. And also I've, I've got a young family and that, that motivates me to, to be the best father that I can be to my, my, my young children and hopefully pass on some, uh, some of those skills that my parents had, had given me in my life. Uh, what's given you the most perspective in life? Yeah, perspective is something that, that, that you realise that life's short, isn't it? It's, um, yeah, probably going back to my, my friend Simon again. I like to say, I've been to, I've been to war-torn conflict. I've, I've ran marathons in, in places like Kilimanjaro and seen like poverty and um, walked with, worked with people in organisations in Beirut like Hezbollah and, and worked with Work with people in the military that have come back from Afghanistan and Iraq, whether that's in Walter Reed in the States or Headley Court in, in the UK. But I think when you, when you know that somebody close, close by you has is, is, is not got a lot of time left on this world, in this world, you realise that that's when, that's when you, you need to have perspective about opportunity and taking those opportunities seriously and um, and those kind of conversations you have with people might be the last but also that opportunity might not never come around again and everybody can have those those perspectives because like I say life is short and we're all a, a ticking clock right and we don't know when that clock stops so that for me that for me is a is a big life lesson and then go into other environments all over the world where having a roof over their head and having a full-time job is, is a rarity or they've had to fight for it. Um, and, and having dependence that you have to get up for and you have to work like 12, 18 hours just to support your, your young children has definitely given me kind of perspective that we are very lucky in this country. And we also, there's, we've got so many selfish people that, that feel that, that, that other people should support them. Where I feel that everybody should be supporting themselves and other people. Like whatever your ability or disability, we should all be working towards a common goal of being better. And whether that's actively working in employment, everybody, there's a job for everybody, whatever ability, disability whatever impairment you've got, there's no excuse for not working. And when I mean that, I don't mean employment, I mean just working t towards 
adding value to society and uh, that's important hundred mm, um, percent talking about the like, the uh, fragility of life like yeah. you know it, like I think sometimes it, it, those moments where you have that paradigm shift of shit life is short yeah. it happens with death it happens yeah. with with loss what happens if somebody hasn't been through those moments how how do they have that, that? well there will be won't they no, that, yeah. yeah that's it everybody's going to be affected by cancer uh, one in two people affected by cancer in their, uh, their life everybody's going to be affected by some kind of disability or an impairment and um, it's important that you have those those tools to be able to um, withstand that uh, that circumstance and because if not you're like you'll be self-isolated you, you, you'll be um, and yeah it's, it, it, it's a question of how do I how do I equip myself better for the challenges in life and that's through experience um, and that's why when I when I finished my my Paralympics in 2012 and I had so many opportunities to have a charity and an organisation that represented me I didn't feel that I was ready for that at that time and I was brave enough to go actually I think I need to wait I need to wait until the right time and uh, when that time's right which, which it was this year I'd, I'd set up an, org an organisation that represented me that, um, that empowered other people and their, their communities to be better so we, we spoke again at the gym about sort of the last two years and the way the, way the situation has been and, and that effect it's had on disabled people. Yeah. Um, I, I'd it's look, a bit massive. Yeah, just like, I'd love to just go through it. Yeah, no. Um, when, when, you're, when you're isolated as an individual, you then try to either... The coping mechanisms you have, they're either one of those where you kind of try to... Uh, embrace everything around you, whether that's resources, whether that's objects, and and then try. Greed's a big thing, isn't it? Where you you kind of go, well, actually, I can't get to the shops, or this is like this is in short supply. I need to buy lots of it. And as people with, well, people that are able-bodied, then being isolated at home, and then hearing the stories where. Oh yeah, we've been really resilient. I'm, I'm thinking, well, disabled people go through this every day of their lives. Disabled people have challenges to get out of their front door, to get to their car, to get to work, and then have challenges at work. Every time they, they turn a corner, they have challenges. And the able-bodied community had a little um, perspective of what it's like to have a disability to what it's like to be isolated, what it's like to not have those, those luxuries in their life that some disabled people cannot access. And that's the kind of environment that I want to have an impact on, those people that do feel isolated in, in life. Not just people with disabilities, those also through mental health. The, the world we live in at the moment isn't a great place for people that suffer, suffer from, from mental health or lack of physical well-being. In the disability community, there is 0.5% of teachers or coaches in the community have a disability. So how do you become a teacher in a, in a secondary or primary school when there's nobody that looks like you? These are the things we need to change. We need to actively change that these opportunities are out there and empower young disabled people to go into teaching because these are, these are role models. We, we need to have people all through the community that are rel relative to challenges. And whether it's 10, 11 year old young people with disabilities that are overcoming the stereotypes or teachers like promoting what it's like to overcome challenges as young adults. We need these people because at the moment, whatever community initiatives are out there, they're not working. Um, 
and it's not about throwing money at these initiatives, it's about empowering people. Some people think, well, I'm not, I'm not that person. My story or my situation isn't, isn't relatable or it's not going to help anybody. Yeah. And I think there is a massive perspective on that. Everybody's got a platform, haven't they? Everybody's got a gift and a platform in life and it's about utilising it in a positive way. And it's not about having that big audience. It's about having that opportunity to enrich other people's lives. And um, the power of sport gives you that, but also the power of a, a community does as well, and to be actively in that community. I think sustainability for, for me, with, with what I promote and what I talk about, is me em empowering young people, and especially those with disabilities in their community, and then getting the communities around that young per person um, to be empowered to the benefits of having young disabled people or people with disabilities in their community. And what I mean by that is uh, a business that, that hasn't got a person with a disability employed, uh, when they employ somebody with a disability, they're, they're already employing somebody that problem solves. They're already employing somebody that has a perspective about what 14 million people do in the UK. Having empathy around uh, people with disabilities is really impor important and that enriches your, your business. And also around participation, your, your clubs, your environments become more inclusive. Um, you, you then reflect that, that community that's the other side of that window. You're reflecting that by being more inclusive within that environment. And also within education, I feel that within the education environment, it's very prescriptive. So education is very prescriptive and it, it, it relates to the learners that learn in that environment. We need to be more open to those hidden disabilities that we cannot see um, and relate to all challenges in society. Um, and having people with disabilities as role models, whether it's teachers, whether it's head boys, whether it's sporting people going into those environments talking about the power of sport. We need to have more interaction and connection with that community. Um, I've got some like key words that I wanted to go over, but this, this is the last one is just like, um, where can people find the stuff for the foundation and what, what kind of work are you going to be doing? So the Richard White Foundation is, is something that I'm really passionate about because there is a, there's a hole in the market around young people with disabilities and opportunities in education, employment and participation. So you can find my, my foundation, thewhitedfoundation.org and also um, through like social media, uh, obviously myself as Marathon Champ on Twitter and on Instagram as well. Uh, I feel that we can all do more. Um, we can all uh, provide more communication around the opportunities for people with disabilities and their communities. So we want to share that information. We're not a, a foundation that is very in-house. We work and collaborate with lots of partnerships with other organisations to make the, the disability world more inclusive. And our idea is not just to, to reflect me as a, as a middle-class white guy with no legs. We want to embrace all people with disabilities, as well as obviously support the communities to be more uh, inclusive and diverse. And um, as, I've, as I've found that there's lots of people out there that are still isolated. And if I can uh, enrich their life through the power of sport, all the better. I love it. Everything's going to be linked down below. Right, this is, these are the last ones. Okay. So, um, these are more for sound bites yeah. to help with the, okay, yeah, the motivational yeah. piece. Yeah. I'll just give you a word. Not yeah. quick fire, just whatever you yeah, think yeah, like, yeah, ever yeah. comes to mind. Yeah. Okay. Um, so first one is strength. The strength is, is seen to be a physical aspect. I see it as um, the power of persuasion and education. Passion, so as a, as a Paralympian, yeah. as a business owner even, yeah. like, yeah, passion. Yeah, I'm a passionate person, that my passion is to spread the word of, 
um, disability to a wider audience and everything I do is with the same kind of passion and uh, energy. Um, yeah, energy is a big word in passion, I think. You have to bring that kind of energy to whether it's running, whether it's uh, presenting, whether it's interpersonal, whether it's one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah, bringing that energy is really important. Yeah. Um, this, it, it might not apply to you, but when I, when I hear of Olympians and Paralympians, this word kind of comes up quite a bit, and it's obsession. Yeah, obsession would be, for me, about kind of drive towards that goal of being successful. So, um, I would say that I've, I have been obsessed with going to the games and, and being, being that gold medalist, but then realising that after you have that success, there's got to be something else. It can't just stop there. And then how do you channel that energy into another project? That's quite difficult. So that's why you have a lot of athletes that have obviously mental health issues after success. Uh, pain. Yeah, pain. Pain for me would be, so it's your physical of kind of putting your body through um, the, the training, um, also mentally, uh, the pain of failure, um, the pain of um, having to quit, um, and also the pain of, of um, realising that you've, you've committed to something and then it's just not happened. Uh, and maybe letting people down. It's what, yeah, I was going to go on to that. So then the, the kind of covered like losing and failing. Um, how would you say about winning? Like, how do you take wins? Winning for me has always been something kind of a, an out-of-body experience. So seeing that as from a, a different perspective as somebody else, you kind of... I remember like running down the home straight and kind of flying from eight to first and... Um, you kind of see it as a different, you see it as, some, as you're actually sitting in the crowd and you're watching your performance. Um, and winning being kind of, it happened so quickly and then also happened so slowly as well. You kind of time, time becomes quite slow and you kind of go, I just want this to finish, I just want to be successful. But then when you reflect on that, you kind of think, oh, it's gone so quickly and time's, time's flown. It's, let's say, nearly 10 years since the one in London. And it just feels like yesterday. But winning for me has always been about kind of sharing that with people and, and, and hopefully people, it makes people smile by not just watching me race, but also kind of enjoying that success as well. Um, disability. Yeah, it's, I think I think disability is always always a kind of a contentious thing because people say, "Oh, I don't see the disability, see the ability." But you've got to you've got to understand your ability to understand the disability of everybody, and everybody's going to have some kind of obstacles in their life that stops them from doing something. Whether that's I'm not. I'm not great at learning, I'm, I'm dyslexic, I'm kind of partially sighted or um, I'm scared of heights or... And it's about how you challenge those, those disabilities that we all have and, and make them into a positive. And um, everybody's given a card in life and it's about how you utilise that card. Um, Disability for me has took various various turns because I, th I would say in, in, in younger life I was obviously really supported and empowered by my parents and then as I was in my teens it was quite tough. Didn't really have a, a kind of a platform or didn't really understand what my purpose was. And then through what I've done in the last 10, 20 years, I've really found that that sport, sport's given me an opportunity to support, 
talk about things more than sport and, um, and, and hopefully people relate to me as a person, not as a person with a disability. Thank you so much to Richard for doing this with us. It is the easiest interview we've ever done. We grabbed our film gear, we walked 30 seconds to the location, we shot the film, we walked back, we had the Mullingborough studio all set up, Richard came in, sat down, and we did this conversation. So we are so blessed that Richard is a local hero of ours, and it was such a wonderful conversation because I've seen him running for years. I've seen him training for years, running through the city, running around my childhood home, uh, all those places. He's there doing, putting the road work in. I mean, he's at the elite level of his, um, his running. He was at the very, very pinnacle of the sport. And um, yeah, he's such an inspiration. So I hope you enjoyed that story. You can go find out more on his Instagram. You can see more of his resources on his Instagram. Thank you for watching. Um, or listening, should I say. And thank you for all the support at www.mulliganbrothers.com where you guys have bought the t-shirts, the hoodies, the journals, and the new poster is going like crazy. Remember, guys, use code PODCAST at checkout. You get 10% off. I know um, some of you guys are checking out without using the code PODCAST at checkout, 10% off the poster and frame, um, the most motivational tool I've been using. So thank you so much for all the support. Have a blessed and productive day, and I'll see you in the next one. Peace.